Turn to Genesis chapter 3, and we're about to be introduced to the devil. But I'm going to preach Jesus up, and I'm going to preach the devil down. But we are introduced for the very first time to the devil in these passages. So, starting at verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You should not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You won't die. You will not surely die. Verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7, the eyes of them both were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, we're in a world of deception. This world is under such deception, and the deceiver is alive and well. And Lord, I pray that as we look at Eve, the deceived, and how she was brought down in this temptation, that you will put wisdom in our own soul, wisdom in our spirit, that we would recognize the tempter and defeat the tempter because of what we've learned today. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, it's so important that we know the word of God. Amen. So turn to your neighbor and tell them, you better perk up and listen. You're going to need this before you get home. How many of you know it's important when all else fails, follow instructions, follow directions? I heard of these. Uh, there was a Texas Department of Public Safety officer. He was, he was watching the highway. And five little old ladies went by in a car going really slow. So he said... I'm going to have to pull her over. So he pulls on the lights, gets up behind her, gets out of his car, walks up, and the little old lady is just shaking and trembling, scared to death. She says, officer, officer, what did I do? I didn't do anything. He says, ma'am, usually I stop people for speeding, but you're going too slow. She says, I'm going exactly what the sign said. Well, what did the sign say? It said 22. He said, smiling to himself, my dear, that was a route number. That was not a speed limit sign. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, you need to speed up. I'll do that. So he walks away. And he's walking away. He notices that the other women in the car just are white as a sheet and just act terrified. So he thinks, what's up? So he goes back to the woman at the wheel and says, hey. He says, excuse me for noticing, but it seems like everybody in your car is just terrified. Is anything wrong? She said, oh, they're probably trying to get over being on Route 119. Some of them just started getting it over here just now. 
Uh, it's so important that we understand what the book says, what it really says. And what you've got here with Eve the deceived is we're looking at a, at a perfect illustration of the anatomy of a temptation. If you wanted to dissect a temptation and look at it and see how they work and how the enemy uses certain things to ensnare us, what his modus operandi is, how he approaches, this is it, the anatomy of a temptation. It's the first temptation in the history of the world, this one, brought to the first woman to bring her down and affect the human race. So as we finish this series on infamous, um, I want to really focus on Eve and just begin by saying that the fall of Adam and Eve is the single greatest tragedy in the entire human race. When, when Eve partook of that fruit and then Adam, it's like a nuclear bomb went off in the spirit world. It was like a nuclear blast. It shook heaven it shook the earth. It shook the spirit world this fall. It was catastrophic, way more catastrophic than people might imagine. And here's why, because the Bible says that when they did it, when they fell, they brought the whole human race with them. When I get to heaven, I'm going to kick Adam in the shins, and then I'm going to turn to Eve and tell her what I think about this story. Because... In all sincerity, when they fell, it was catastrophic. We all went with them. We all became guilty by association. And because of their fall, we were all born with a fallen nature. We are not evolving into a better species. We are where we've always been, a fallen human race. Fallen. We easily sin. Nobody has to teach a child to sin. Have you ever noticed a little two-year-old can do something wrong and you'll say to them, did you do that? And they'll look right up and you say, no. <laughs> Where'd they learn to lie that way? We don't raise children teaching them to do wrong. We are always trying to get them to do right because our natural bent is towards iniquity, towards sin. David said, I was born in sin. I was shaped by iniquity. Sin is the act of wrong. Iniquity is the bent towards the wrong. I was born in sin, doing evil, wrong, sinful things, and my whole nature was bent towards it. It doesn't mean that we're all wicked, evil, terrible, but we are sinners by nature. That's the message of the Bible. It says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation of all of us, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Guilt by association and guilt by action. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. That's why Jesus could not have an earthly father. If he had had an earthly father, he would have been born with a sin nature. But because he had no earthly father, he was born with the father's nature. So he wasn't born as a sinner. The only man ever born since Adam's fall that was not born a sinner. Because we were all born in sin, shaped in iniquity, here's the result. All have sinned and are continuously daily falling short of the glory of God. Now here's the good news. The good news is that through one man's 
capital M, righteous act, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, the free gift of salvation came to all men, resulting in justification. Jesus died on that cross, and because he was a perfect, sinless man, he died for you and for me, and therefore his righteousness is imputed to us. So as by one man we were all taken down, by another man we're all brought up. Amen. Now, the story of Eve falling into deception is really the classic case of the anatomy of a temptation. And I want you to notice that when the temptation began, the devil was on the scene. The temptation happened because the tempter came on the scene. We see him for the very first time in Genesis 3.1. We don't know about him until then. If I'd never read the Bible in my life and picked it up for the first time and just read it, then I would go, when I got to chapter 3, verse 1, i go, oh, who's this character? It's the devil, the serpent. So here he is. He, he appears in the garden. And I want you to notice that when he first appears, he's already a fallen, judged being. Something happened to him before the creation of the world. Something happened with him and to him. Before God said, let there be light, let there be animals, let there be anything, the devil had brought about an insurrection against God. But he wasn't the devil. His name was Lucifer, the light bearer, or the bright and morning star, the light bearer. He was one of three archangels. There were three of them. The mightiest of the angels, the archangels, meaning first and superior. There was Lucifer, Gabriel, Michael. Lucifer was the chief of the three. And he one day, according to Isaiah, said to himself, he ascended towards heaven saying, I'm going to be like the Most High. He had taken it in his heart to literally displace and replace God. His beauty and his power went to his head. And for the very first time in God's universe, pride was born. And pride led to a catastrophe. He persuaded a third of the angels of God to follow with him. And when they ascended to heaven, the almighty God looked and saw them coming. And according to the scripture, he judged them. They were cast to the earth. They became disembodied spirits. Satan retained his power, retained his intelligence, but he was a fallen, cursed being headed for hell. And the Bible says that, 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 those angels that went with him became the demons. You see, Jesus always casting out demons in the New Testament. As soon as he begins his ministry, as soon as he comes under his anointing, the demons begin to manifest. Those demon spirits were originally angels that rebelled with Lucifer against God. But now they're all hellbound and there's no hope for them. They're judged. And they know their time is short. So, he, so here at Genesis 3.1, after God has created this beautiful, pristine, fabulous, incomprehensibly beautiful creation, suddenly as, as the man and the woman are walking through the garden, the devil appeared. There he is, already judged, already fallen. And he wants one thing above all else to ruin the beautiful 
creation of God and stain it and abort it and destroy it. And he knows that the way to do that is to go for the apex of God's creation, which was man. That was a divine amen. Okay, now, he said, I'm going to destroy it. And I'll do it by getting to the man and the woman. Because they were the, they were the supreme finish to God's creation. God spent special time on the man and the woman, creating them, fashioning them. Everything else, he said, let it be, and it was, but not with man and woman. With the man, he formed him out of the earth. And the woman, he took out of the man's side. So they were specific. You are the apex of God's creation. You are not the result of a cold, meaningless, apathetic, evolutionary process. That's not what you are. You are the apex of God's creation. Made in the very likeness and image of God. Now, here's the devil. He's checking it out. We're told the devil was more cunning than any beast of the field. Cunning, that's a strong word. Crafty, mischievous, subtle, sneaky. He moved under the radar. He did not want Adam and Eve to know he was in that garden. He wanted to remain in the shadows, off to the side, in the bushes, so to speak. Because what he was going to do was by stealth and by deception, not openly. He was covert. He was not overt. He was thoughtful. He was preemptive. The Bible in Ephesians talks about the strategery of the devil. He is strategic. He knows every one of us. Now, he doesn't know everything. He's not like God. He's not omnipotent, all-powerful. He's not omnipresent everywhere at once. And he's not omniscient, all-knowing. But he was there before we ever knew the Lord. So he knows us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows where he had us and how he had us, what our vices were, what our weaknesses were. He's a highly intelligent being. And he first sized up the situation as he looked over God's magnificent new creation and he starts focusing particularly on the man and the woman. And here's what he was thinking. How can I make my best move? I'm probably only going to have one chance. So how can I make my best move? It's going to have to be right. I need to be accurate. How can I overthrow them successfully? He watched for a while, studied, watched them, got their patterns down. And you know what he waited for? He waited for the woman to get alone. He waited for the woman to get isolated. He said, there's my chance. When the woman was alone, there's my chance. Her head and her protector, Adam, was apparently a ways off doing something else. He was totally unaware of the attack that was about to be leveled against his wife. So, here's one lesson from Eve's story. The devil waits for us to be isolated, to make his most vicious and most accurate and most successful attacks. That's why he's always trying to pull people out of fellowship. That's why when you get offended in church, the devil doesn't want you to work it out. He wants you to leave. 
He doesn't want you to forgive. He wants you to leave because he wants to get you and I off isolated because an isolated Christian is easier to bring down than one that is in fellowship who has other eyes looking at their life and can help pray with them. Well, we need one another like we never have before because the Lord is near even at the very door. And the devil knows his time is short and he's working overtime. And so he's like a wolf. He's like a wolf pack that follows the deer herd until that one weaker deer falls back just a little bit and they move in and begin to work on that weaker deer and they bring them down. That's the way the devil works. He's not fair. There's not a fair bone in his body. He doesn't play by any rules. He's vicious, evil, wicked, diabolical to the core. He weeps not over one soul. And so he says, ah, she's alone. He moved in. And he begins talking to her. Now, I don't think a snake slithered up to her like a king cobra. A king cobra is about 18 feet long. When he stands up a third of his length, which they do, he's six feet. My height, looking at me this way, any woman I know, she's out of there. And most men. So I don't think that's what was happening. I think, I think here the enemy approached her in something that was serpentine, serpent-like, that was bewitching, that was uh, mesmerizing. And the first thing out of his mouth is a twisted scripture. Now, it's important to remember, before I show you what he said to her, what did God originally tell Adam about this tree that is the center of this story? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what this is all about, this tree. And the woman. We need to remember that the woman wasn't there when God first told Adam about the tree. He was alone. She hadn't been created yet. And God, God warned Adam about the tree before he brought Eve out of his side and created her. So Adam had the straight, undiluted, untainted word of God about the tree. And here's what God told Adam. Of every tree, now listen very carefully because words are important in this quote because the devil's going to twist it. Listen, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. You can have everything, Adam, but one. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that one you shall not eat. And here's my warning, says God, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So what the woman knew about the forbidden tree had come secondhand from Adam. One day they're walking along and Adam said, oh, by the way, I need to tell you about that tree. Let me tell you about that tree. This is what God told me. And he told her. I don't think he told her wrong. With that in mind, it makes sense to me that Satan attacked the person who was least familiar with the word of God. Okay? He didn't go to Adam who had originally gotten it. He went to the woman who got it secondhand. That's why you need to read the book yourself. Okay? You need to read the book yourself. So, so now, with that in mind, here's what the devil said to Eve. 
First thing out of his mouth. Here he is. He's approached her. She's looking. She, she's, in, she's in contact with him. And he says, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What did God say? God never said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He said you can eat of all the trees in the garden, but one. But the devil said to Eve, has God really said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Eve's response was to correct him. She said, well, hey, he's wrong. But when she corrected him, she got something wrong too. And that's what the devil was wanting to know. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. True. We may eat of all the trees, plural. True. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat. That's true as well. So far, she's got an A+. But now she messes up. Nor shall you touch it. False. God never said they couldn't touch the tree. He only said, you can't eat of that tree. Notice both Satan and Eve wanted to take away from man something God gave them. And wanted God to look like a heavy. You can't eat of every tree. You can't even touch them. Look at all these beautiful trees, but you can't eat of any of them, the devil said. And then Eve added to the word of God. The devil overblew God's command, but Eve added to God's command. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that that's exactly what the devil was looking for. Ah, she's not clear on the word. She's attackable, temptable, defeatable, because she's not clear on the word. She's already confused. I'm about to make it a whole lot worse. That's how Jesus was victorious in the wilderness. He was totally clear on the word of God. He didn't miss a thing. Now, I want you to notice with me that Satan was able to succeed where understanding of God's word was foggy. That's why, boy, I'll tell you, Christians all over America sitting in churches that don't preach the word of God, you ought to get out of there as fast as your feet can carry you because the, the church is all about the word of God. We need to be in word churches, churches that are preaching the word. I don't have anything to say to you if God didn't say it. I'm just up here to, as God's messenger boy. And, I, and, and my message to you is the word of God. And here, here this woman, he, the devil has now found out she's foggy about the word. So now I'm going to attack her. Both Satan and Eve misquoted God's word. Satan did it diabolically. The woman did it ignorantly. So with the devil going, all right, okay, all right, she's vulnerable. So as the temptation progresses, Satan grows bolder and more brazen because he goes from attacking God's word to the God of the word. Now, church, the Holy Spirit put this in the Bible so that we could learn from it so that we would not make the same mistakes. That's why it's here. Now, I want you to look at what happens. Satan's modus operandi is this. I'm going to attack the word of God. 
and, and, and I'm going to attack the word of God in her mind. I'm going to see if she really knows it. And if she doesn't really know it, then, then I've got a vulnerable candidate. And now I'm going to not only attack God's word, but I'm going to attack the character and the goodness of God. Because if she's foggy about the word, she's probably foggy about him. You know what Eve should have done already by now? You know what, dude? I'm married. And, and, and I'd rather you just take this argument to my husband. Because he was there when God told him about the tree. And she should have boogied right then. But you know what she did? She lingered. She lingered in fellowship with these thoughts that were coming into her mind. And as she lingers in the devil's presence, his aggressiveness increases because he wants to put a wedge between Eve and God. Because if I can get a wedge between God and Eve and Eve and God, then I can, I can really run a number on this whole creation. I can really wreak some havoc. So, so, and the enemy's always out, folks, always to put a wedge between us and God. Where was God when you went through that? Where was God when you experienced that? How come God let that happen? Where was your God? You know what the devil does? He calls God an outright liar. Oh, mercy. Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. He calls God an outright liar. He begins to attack and undermine his character and his good intentions for Adam and Eve. You will not die, Eve. Come on. His, his attack is three-pronged. You will not die, number one. Second, God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open, number two. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil, number three. I want you to notice that his temptation contains a promise. Eve, if you listen to me, and you believe what I'm telling you, boy, are you going to get blessed because your eyes are going to be open and you're going to become like God. Satan never tempts any of us in this room, but what there's a promise attached to it, and it's always a false promise. He never delivers. He can't deliver. But he gives us a promise. If you do this, go there, take that, whatever, then you will be fulfilled, you will be happy, you will have love, and on and on the promises go. You'll be rich. There's always a promise attached to a temptation. So I want you to look at the character assassination taking place against God here. He says, first, you will not die. Translated, God's a liar, Eve. Don't you realize that? God has lied to you. You're not going to die. God's a liar. He's lied to you about consequences. He told you that if you did this, you're going to receive that. If you do this, you're going to die. He said, Eve, that's a big lie. There's not consequences if you do this. Can you say with me, the devil's a liar every time. Anytime you're about to do something wrong and you've got this impression that you're going to get away with it and that nothing's ever going to come to you, happen to you, you can know that you're listening to the same liar that talked to Eve and said, you're not going to die. There will be consequences. Second, he knows the day you eat. God knows the day you eat of that tree, your eyes are going to be opened. Translated, he's withholding from you. Oh, man, this comes to people all the time. 
How long are you going to sit in church? One of these Bible thumpers. Don't you know the real fun's out in the world? Don't you know that this religion, this Christianity stuff is withholding from you? You're not enjoying life. You're sitting here. You're going to sit soak and sour. You're going to sit in one of these chairs to the day you die and never have any fun. Don't you know that's the voice that came to the prodigal son in the father's house? That same voice. Hey, boy. Hey, you're going to sit in the father's house here till the day you die. Don't you know in the far country is where all the action is? Get out of this house. He knows that the day you walk out, your eyes are going to be opened. And you're going to go, wow, was I wasting my time. That prodigal son ended up eating pig food, sitting in a mud pit, ruining the day he listened to that voice. And then the enemy ended it. You'll be like God. Translated, he's a drag on your, God's a drag on your progress as a human being. If you will eat of this tree, Eve, you're not going to have to be submitted to God anymore because you're going to be just like him. In other words, you get to be independent. If you break from God, you're going to be far better off. At this point in the game, church, Eve had to believe three things. My understanding of God's word was wrong. Is that happening in churches all over America right now? This whole thing about same-sex marriage, this whole message that sexual perversion is actually right and anybody who says otherwise is wrong, and we've just misunderstood the word for 21 centuries. Are you with me? It's the same voice. It's the same argument. Your eyes need to be opened. I've heard pastors around the country say, my eyes have been opened. I've evolved. I no longer believe that stuff. Now I think God has put a seal of approval on that. My understanding of God's word was wrong. She had to believe, second, God can't be trusted. He's lied to me once, he'll lie to me again. Third, He doesn't want what's best for me. He's withholding from me. This is classic, satanic lies. And he's so good at it. No consequences. Your eyes are going to be open. You're going to progress as a human being. If you just come out from under his word. Isn't it amazing how quickly this little conversation between the devil and Eve has gone south? It's gone from bad to really bad in the bat of an eye. It's all happening in the battlefield of Eve's mind. The fiery arrows of questioning and doubting God were impulses and thoughts sent and fired into her mind from the quiver of the devil's arsenal. And unfortunately, Eve, the mother of the human race, is losing the battle and about to bite the bait. Now, I want you to notice something. God had given them a whole creation of trees with fruit. He said, you can eat of every tree and all of this. There's only one tree you can't have. But I want you to notice what the devil's doing. He's got this woman's eyes on the one thing she can't have. 
Are you with me? Oh, how diabolical is this? I mean, she's got a whole creation. If she had just pulled her eyes away from what the devil kept talking to her about and looked at what God had given her, she would say, oh, thank you, God, for a million trees. I don't care about that. Thank you for, the, thank you for what you have given me. The God, God is good. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to enjoy everything you've told me I can have. Let me tell you, you know the devil's working on you. If you have your eyes on the one thing God said, you can't have. Well, this is good preaching. I'm going to get this CD myself (laughs) as soon as church is over. Because I want you to get this now. Uh, The word preaches. The word walks all on its own. I'm just reading to you the word. Look at this poor woman. She's got this magnificent, unstained, untainted, no sin had entered the world. This fabulous creation. But she's focused and fixed now on the one tree forbidden. And she can't get her eyes off it. With doubt swirling in her head about everything she had believed up to now, Three things happen in rapid succession. Here they are. It says she saw that the tree was good for food because now the devil, having confused her about God and about the word, has her focused on the tree. And focusing on the tree, she starts admiring the tree. And she saw the tree was good for food. How many times in this series on infamous have we seen those two words play a part in a tragedy? Samson saw, he saw, he saw this woman here, he saw this woman there, he man with a she weakness. Then here's David, he saw. This is the first time it's a she saw, but she saw. And she's experiencing what John, in his little letter, said the three things that comprise the world. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We're about to see all three of these hit Eve. And keep in mind that all three of these hit Jesus in the wilderness in the same way, and Jesus won the battle that Eve lost. So she saw that it was good for food. What does that mean? When when it says she saw that it was good for food, you're dealing with the lust of the flesh. The devil was, was appealing to a right appetite in her trying to get her to satisfy the righteous appetite in an unrighteous way. Like he did Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I see you're hungry. 40 days and nights without bread. I'm hungry. Turn these stones into bread. There was nothing wrong with Jesus' hunger, but Satan was tempting him to misuse his power to meet a need. Now he's saying to Eve... There, there, look at, look at the fruit on that tree. Eat of it because you're hungry and God understands your hunger. He'll understand. And there's a thousand trees all around her. But she's on that one because of the devil has made an issue out of it. Here's what she started thinking. Well, it looks like it's good for food. How could it be wrong if it looks so right? (laughs) 
Domino one. Boom. Then a second time she saw, she saw, she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. A desirable thing. She starts thinking this way. How can something be wrong if it's beautiful? If it's wrong, wouldn't God make it ugly, unattractive, revolting? If it was wrong, and she didn't understand the devil's job is to make wrong look good. So she says, well, it can't be wrong if it's so pretty. It it, it can be wrong if it's good for food. And now she's totally lost touch with God's word. We're at the place where she has lost her anchor. And God's, and she's walking by sight and not by faith. Domino two. Boom. She's got one to go. Lastly, she concludes, it's desirable to make one wise. That's what the devil told her about it. If you eat of it, you're going to be like God. You're going to be wise. You're going to, you're going to be enhanced as a human being. That's the boastful pride of life. John's third sign of the activity and pull of the world. What is the boastful pride of life? It's it's the attitude, I don't need God. I have my own talent. I have my own abilities. I have my own wisdom. I have my own strength. I'm an independent, self-made person. I don't need God. That's the boastful pride of life. Domino three falls. Driven by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the desire for independence from God. She has now had a wedge put between her and God and God and his word. She is standing there alone, blowing in the wind of temptation. And she says, you know what? This is it. She reached out. She grabbed the fruit. And she ate of it. And you know what happened? Nothing. And you know what she thought? He was right. God lied. Because I haven't dropped dead. She didn't understand what God meant. Because the minute she ate, she was cut off from the life-giving spirit of God. And so she says, wow, I'm not dead. It was all a great big lie. We can eat of that tree. And so she runs to Adam and says, hey, I ate of it. I'm not dead. But Adam ate with his eyes wide open. He knew she was deceived. But here's what I think happened. He loved his woman more than he loved God. So he says, okay, give it to me. You're going down, I'm going down with you, babe. All right. <laughs> oh, and, and so they both went, hey, are you dead? I'm not dead. Yeah, uh, hey, I feel pretty good. That was really good because there's pleasure in sin for a season. But what they didn't know is that soon they would hear footsteps walking in the cool of the garden. Adam, where art thou? And then they knew. The jig was up. And well, you know what I like? First blame game. Hey, Adam, what are you doing? She did it. She gave it to me. 
but not to be outdone, Eve, the serpent did it. He made me do it. But God called all three of them and passed judgment and the consequences rolled in. Now, let me just tell you quickly what we can learn from Eve. Are you ready? Just in three quick things quickly. You can't break God's word without consequences. We learn that. You can't do it. And that's good to know. We need to know there's consequences for sin. It keeps us walking right. You won't die was a great big lie. Two chapters later in Genesis 5, the Holy Spirit takes us through a little genealogy of men. And at the end of each one of the men it mentions, it says, he died. Death entered the human race when they fell. Adam died, Seth died, Enosh died, Canaan died, and so on. It's like the Spirit wants us to be really clear on this one thing. When the devil told Eve, you won't die, he was lying. Because the whole human race began to die. For a while there, they lived until 800, 900. But by the time of David, it had gone down to 70. Two, we should trust God's word over what our senses tell us. Amen. Did you know your heart will lie to you? Your emotions will lie to you. Our heart and our eyes will tell us that something dangerous is beautiful and something deadly is good. If you go by your senses, what's that song? You can't hide your lying eyes. Your eyes will lie to you. Listen to what the Bible says. Before every man, there lies a wide and pleasant road. He thinks is right, but it ends in death. Solomon said, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be kept safe. Then lastly, it greatly matters. Oh, it matters what you believe about God. See, if Eve had been firmly rooted and grounded in the belief that God was inherently good, she could never have been deceived. It all began with God or the devil undermining God's word and the God of the word. And if she had been rooted in the goodness of God, she would never have fallen. He had to pull her away and put a wedge in between them to get her to the place where she would eat of what was forbidden. Let me give you some advice. If you're doubting God's goodness, doubt your doubts. If you're doubting God's goodness, we have a little saying that we we often quote, when you don't understand God's hand, trust God's heart. Okay? Let's stand together, can we?